I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Last week, we sat right here, and we talked with David Niles. He's the president of St. Michael Catholic Radio in Broken Arrow. And we talked about finding God in the interruptions, and I should have known better. First of all, finding God in the interruptions has been kind of the theme of my life over the last two years at the very least, but it's even kind of the theme of this show as this show was an interruption from what I was expecting to do. Uh, David came and approached me, and and this was not my plan to to run a radio show, and here we are. uh, I think next week is going to be three years, every week of doing this show, and it's just been an absolute pleasure, a privilege to be able to do this week in and week out. And yet it's not something I ever would have imagined doing. So here is a prime example of finding God in the interruptions. But anytime that you do a show like that, I think you're tempting fate just a little bit. God says, oh, great, you're going to find me in the interruptions. How about this one right here? How about this interruption? Are you going to find me in this interruption? And so as it so happened, I was sitting at my desk on Monday morning, uh, doing some show prep, perusing the internet, and my computer shuts down on me. Just says, I'm done. And I thought, huh, that's odd. But I I have this general impression that I'm going to win when it comes to a battle of the wills between the computer and me. And so I I do what you do. I reboot it, and it doesn't reboot. It just kind of sits there with a gray screen just staring at me. So I contacted a friend of mine who has some experience with these matters, specifically Mac matters, and uh, he walked me through a couple of things, and I was able to recover my data, and only to find that it's not the hard drive at all, because no, that would be a cheap, cheap replacement. I just get a new hard drive, install everything again, and and you're off to the races. Uh, And yet that was not uh, what it was, no. Uh, we we lost entirely the studio computer. It is gone. The mother uh, the motherboard has given up the ghost. If it were just a battle of the wills, uh, no problem. But the will of this computer, specifically the will to live, has passed on, and so we're it, it created a little bit of a panic because I kind of used that that computer to bring you this show. It is the 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 device the portal that connects us. And so I, I'm looking at this and thinking, hmm, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. But I'll tell you what happened next is that uh, it brought about a certain urgency and humility. And I, I talked with a friend uh, who, who has been generous in the past and has been uh, a supportive of the work we do. And I, I mentioned that the computer had given up the ghost. And in that moment, much to my uh, surprise, the, the entire amount for a new studio computer was provided. Uh, and so this week's show is brought to you by my friend who wishes to remain anonymous this week's show and next week's and the week after that and so forth and so on. Because uh, without their help, uh, I wouldn't have the means to do this, to bring you the show week in and week out. Now, there's something that you can do to help in the future because the computer is just one component of the studio uh, and and all components, all all computers, all uh, hard drives, all everything, uh, is moving toward its own demise, right? Even even you and I, we're moving towards our own demise as every day goes about, as things are want to atrophy. And so, uh, if you want to help to make sure that the next time that something goes wrong, 
uh, we have the means to, to fix it and continue the show. Well, then by all means, please go right on over to OutsideTheWalls.com and there is a place right there that says Patreon dash support the show. If you want to support the show, that's all you have to do. Go click that Patreon link. There are a number of levels that you can support for as little as $2 a month, up to quite a bit more. And there are a number of different reward levels where you receive something for that gift each month. The The most popular, of course, is that $5 a month gift where every week we have uh, our guest that we interview. And after the fact, we interview them just a little bit longer and we provide you with a uh, an extra segment that doesn't go out to the inter- to the to the uh, broadcast doesn't go over the radio. It goes just to those people who support the show. So if you uh, if you love the show, why don't you go take a look at it? See if that's something you might be able to do to help us keep up with the the costs of producing uh, this program week in and week out. So uh, I did find God in the interruptions, and and partly I found him through the willingness to submit, to say, okay, God, if this is something you want us to keep doing, if this is a show that you want to have happen, then then you're going to make the way. I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to get worried about it because uh, I can only do so much. And if if God is behind something, by all means, he's going to make a way for it to happen. And so there was such freedom. In, in sitting there in the middle of that interruption, specifically after just having gone through that show, and saying, God, where are you in this interruption? I didn't even get stressed out, which is kind of uh, unusual for me. I just looked at this and went, huh, it's an interruption. I wonder where God is in this. And lo and behold, God made himself manifest uh, through his people, as he often does. And uh, I, I've just been absolutely, completely blown away by God's faithfulness and his goodness in those difficult moments. What have been your interruptions? What have been the things that that have just kind of popped into your week this week? Maybe uh, that you had the right attitude towards because of the show, or maybe you had the right attitude towards because that's just the way you are. Uh, maybe you'd be tempted normally to, to freak out like I normally would if something like a computer crash happened. But through presence of mind, through the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you were able to find God in the midst of that interruption. Maybe it happened this week. Maybe uh, you've got an older story you want to share with us. I would love for you to come over to social media and share that story. I want to hear it. I want to uh, talk about it a little bit. Uh, Because as we share these stories and these testimonies, those people who are right now stuck in the middle of an interruption that seems to be something that's just going to overthrow them, Our stories of God's faithfulness bring hope to the person who's right in the middle of it. So go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Uh, Mention me in that tweet, uh, tag me in that post, and let's, uh, let's have a conversation about the faithfulness of God, finding God in those interruptions. And this is an interesting exercise because not every interruption is from God. Sometimes life interrupts us. And we're just in the middle of, of an incredible pain or suffering or in, in just internal emotional turmoil. And yet we can still look for God in those moments. And God will make himself manifest and bring out the good. In fact, in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, we read, We know all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And a few verses later, he goes on to say, What shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, 
how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring the charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us, who will condemn. It is Christ Jesus who died, rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. See, as you're going through whatever it is that's interrupting your life uh, that, that may be difficult or may be painful, right now, Jesus Christ, the one who died and was raised again, is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, the Almighty, just like we say in the Creed. And he is not just there, as it says, from there he shall come the judge of the living and the dead. No, more than that, he is currently, right now, in this moment, praying for you. He is interceding to the Father on your behalf. Now, we know that the prayers of the righteous are effective. We see that in Scripture. If the prayers of the righteous are effective, how much more the intercession of our Lord, of Jesus Christ himself, sitting before the Father, saying, Oh, oh, Father, that one right there. Make yourself present to that one right there. And of course, we know for a fact that God is present in us. He is present in us by virtue of our baptism. If you feel like you've been separated from God, then go to confession. God has made a way for you to be in full, total, intimate relationship with him, even in the midst of these interruptions. And so that's my encouragement to you today. Uh, Even as I have had to walk through some unexpected things this week, uh, God is faithful. God is present, and he is ready right now as we humble ourselves, as we say, God, I'm, I'm not able to get through this on my own, and I really don't know the best way to, to seek you right now. I don't know the best way to listen to you right now. Right now, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. So take heart, be strong and of good courage. I'm reminded of the prayer by St. Thomas Merton. I'm going to put a link to this up on social media because it's meant so much to me over the years. Uh, but he starts off this prayer saying, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> And, you know, I feel sometimes like starting off prayers like that. My Lord God, there are some really crazy things going on. There are some big interruptions, and I don't know how to find you right now, but I want to find you. And there's a line in the middle of that prayer that says, I don't know for sure that I am that I am pleasing to you, but I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. I really identify with that quite a bit because I, I think that I know what to do. I think I know what's holy. I think I know what God wants for me, but I can't be certain. All I know for sure is that I deeply desire to follow after God. I deeply desire to please him, and, and I, I pray that he would direct me in that. I pray that in the middle of the interruptions, and I know that you do as well, in the middle of these interruptions, I want to find the presence of God. I want to cling to that presence knowing that no matter how shaky life gets or how crazy life gets, God is unshakable and immovable, and he is our strong rock and fortress. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Charlie Camosi. He's the Associate Professor of Theological Ethics at Fordham University. We're going to be talking about adoption. It's National Adoption Month, and there's much more right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. 
I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and here we are in the month of November, and this is, if you're unaware, this is National Adoption Month, which comes on the heels of the end of the 40 Days for Life campaign. So when I was running the campaign in the Tulsa area, I always, at our closing rally, had someone come in and speak about adoption. Uh, it's always interesting to me because it ended uh, generally on that first week of, of November, and it very often ended on November 5th, as it did this year, which is the birthday of my daughter, my oldest daughter, who uh, was born when I was still a teenager, and she was put up for adoption. She was placed for adoption, and it was an open adoption, so I had a, a, an ongoing relationship with her throughout her growing up years. She knew who I was, and I had the opportunity to visit with her and write letters. And so uh, adoption is something that's very important to me. In adoption, I see most clearly that God is able to take anything and turn it into something beautiful. Uh, he took my sin as a teenager, uh, doing things out of order, and turned it into life, and not only life for that child, but also for that family. And so today I wanted to talk specifically about adoption from the perspective of the adoptive parent. And so today we're talking with Associate Professor of Theological Ethics at Fordham University, Dr. Charlie Camosi. Uh, Charlie, thanks for being on the show today. Hi, Timothy. It's good to hear from your voice. So you you uh, have spent quite a bit of time in your uh, in your career talking about abortion. You wrote this wonderful book called Beyond the Abortion Wars: A Way Forward for a New Generation, uh, that's available on Urban's Press. Uh, but from that, now this apparently has given you some very specific direction in how you are approaching your own family, having adopted these uh, three siblings. Tell me a little bit about the connection for you. Uh, and what first drove you to action to begin the adoption process? Well, I think it's not unusual for um, people of a certain age, maybe who, uh, you know, are looking to start a family that adoption is one of the things that they consider. Um, I know that's something that my wife and I, from the, first, from the moment we first started um, seriously dating, had actually talked about it. We're looking forward to being an option, mm -hmm. but I guess also my, you know, my commitments as a Christian, as a Catholic Christian, um, knowing a little bit about the history of the church, especially the early church, <clears throat> maybe, you know, that, um, uh, infant abandonment was a widespread, a widespread practice in ancient Greece and Rome and Christians became known throughout the empire, uh, early on as being you know, particularly noted for um, adopting a lot of the infants that had been abandoned. And of course, there was the whole theology of adoption and how Christians are made uh, part of the same family through the adoption of the Spirit. And um, in some ways, that makes us all brothers and sisters. So it's just a rich part of the tradition that I claim and the, um, the name that I claim. And uh, so a combination of wanting to build a family, live out what I, a big part of what I took to be a Christian life, and help out, to, you know, and, 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 and help uh, children to flourish. Um, you know, I, I've been, we've been blessed with this opportunity based on all those things coming together. Now, as you talk about this uh, this practice in Rome and in Greece early on, you're talking about uh, abandonment of infants, not to any state agency, but actually to the elements 
Uh, and so this was infanticide. Uh, and the, the church went out and found that the Christians went out and found these children literally along the wayside and, and brought them in and nurtured them and took, you know, sought out the valuable life uh, out in the roads and brought them in and raised them. Yes. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an astonishingly beautiful part of our tradition mm-hmm. and um, fits very well with, of course, Christ's command uh, to, to pay attention to the least among us, to welcome the most vulnerable into our lives and um, to rethink families in interesting ways. I know there's an interesting tension actually between what some people talk about the nuclear family or the traditional family and more adoptive friendly families. Uh, and it's a, it mirrors a tension that's maybe within the broader Christian communities too, about what constitutes a family and what a follower of Christ is committed to when it comes to quote family values or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, Jesus had very interesting things to say about family, how it relates to the gospel, and we're, whatever our version of the family has to be, it has to be one that's consistent with uh, Matthew 25 and his command to welcome the most vulnerable into our midst. Yeah. Now, when, when we think of adoption generally, uh, a lot of times we think of infant adoption, but you adopted some older children who were already uh, I- upper elementary into their young teens uh, and three siblings. So this already is a different experience than most people would, would call to mind uh, immediately. So talk a little bit about the, the process of, uh, of looking for older children and maybe some of the dynamics that that's created in your family. Yeah, I want to, I want to be sure to protect uh, privacy and not, not talk too, in too much detail about all of, all of what went on. Mm-hmm. But we do have, um, uh, three uh, older children who we adopted, uh, now 12, 14, and 19. Um, and they're, they're here from the Philippines. My wife is Filipina. She was born in the Philippines, came to the United States when she was only a year old, um, married into a beautiful, wonderful Filipino family. Um, and I've been blessed now to share in that heritage as well with um, uh, my two daughters and my son, uh, who also come from the Philippines, and it, it's been a it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Charlie Camosi. He is the associate professor of theological ethics at Fordham University. He's also an adoptive father of three. Charlie, what have you learned through the process? of incorporating certain traditions into your household that maybe weren't present before that, that maybe popped up when you're adopting older children because they already have their own uh, experience of life that now they're melding in uh, rather than what you would think necessarily with, with infants where you give them everything. Your children are also bringing some richness into your home uh, and, and enlightening you. Yeah. No, it's unbelievable. I, I, I tell anybody who will listen that, my kids are way better people than I am. And I learn from them in, in, in dramatic, dramatic ways every day. And, and, and I, I mean, I could, I could mention a lot of ways, but maybe one particularly interesting way, and this had a big effect on me actually, is this notion of time. I, I may have posted this on social media in a way that you'd seen at some point, I don't know, but I'm just so regimented in my time. I'm so American, so 
Western and how everything needs to be on time and everything needs to be on a schedule. And this is the time for that. And this is the time for that. Mm -hmm. It's taken so long. And in some ways we just have not been successful to try to help our kids understand. And, and I think it's not just a question of they were in an orphanage or they were in a different social situation. It's a completely different cultural understanding of what's important about leading one's day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been made a, a much more present individual, much more present person to them and in general by having their, their understandings of time even and what's important about scheduling or not important about scheduling, how to live in the moment, how to just be without concerned about what's coming next. Uh, in a, in a way that's just totally profound, and it would never have happened, of course, if I hadn't been confronted by three people who had grown up in a very different culture with regards to that. Who were butting up against every every attempt that you had to get them onto that that uh, that clock. You know, uh, we I once heard this phrase that the present, the present moment, is where time intersects with eternity. Uh, we we put together these five and ten year plans, and and yet the only thing that we can really affect is the present moment. Yeah, and and we do pretty poorly, uh, both maybe psychologically and just in a straight up no chaser utilitarian analysis. <laughs> when we try to plan everything out and to get everything exactly right, we're 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 pretty poor creatures. One of the reasons we need God in all this, excuse me. Uh, because we, we do a really crappy job <laughs> at, at that. And, and uh, or at least I do, and, and most, a lot of people I know do. Um, and, and so we get the worst of both worlds. We do a crappy job of the thing we think we should be doing. And then we miss out on those moments where time intersects with eternity, living in the present moment. That, that's a very beautiful way to put it, it seems to me. You know, something came across my feed earlier that I think maybe connects with this a little bit where the Pope in one of his, uh, in his homilies said, you know, the mass is not the place for, for photos, put your cameras away when you're at mass in the Vatican. And I have to confess what I was in Philadelphia when he came and visited and, uh, the first few, the first time he drove by in the Pope mobile, man, I had, I had my phone out. I'm right there, but I have my phone out and I'm looking at the phone and I have to force myself don't look at the screen. You could look at a screen anywhere. Look down, be here in the moment, and how easy it is for us uh, to get so caught up with making a memory that we miss the the moment altogether. It's it's a beautiful uh, image, um, putting down the phone and just being in the moment with the Holy Father and with the Mass. Mm-hmm. I mean that is that's and it's it's a it's a struggle because the structures in which my students especially are living is so regimented and so forward-looking right and so and they're 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 coerced actually coerced is not too strong a word to do something other than live in the moment you have to constantly be thinking about how is this going to affect my my career 20 30 years down the road rather than oh wow look at look at that flower listen to that bird be present with this conversation with the person right in front of me right we're talking about uh, we're talking about adoption here in National Adoption Month, Dr. Charlie Camosi. He's the Associate Professor of Theological Ethics at Fordham University. And don't go anywhere. We're going to continue the conversation right after this break.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we're talking with Charlie Camosi. He's the Associate Professor of Theological Ethics at Fordham University and author of Beyond the Abortion Wars, A Way Forward for a New Generation. Charlie, thanks again for being on the show. Happy to be here. As we've talked, uh, we've had you on the show a couple of other times, and we've always been talking about abortion specifically. Uh, and today we're talking about it kind of in a, a non-direct way, coming around the, the side. Uh, we've often talked about dealing with the supply of abortion, and that, that means uh, legislation and things that will make it more difficult for, uh, for places to open up or to, to operate an abortion facility. Uh, and that would be, you know, whether it be overturning Roe v. Wade or the personhood amendment or any of these things, that deals with uh, cutting off the supply of abortions. But there's also the question of how do we deal with the demand side? Because in any kind of economic situation, uh, whether it be monetary or otherwise, any kind of exchange, you're dealing both with supply and demand. Uh, and so one of the things that we see in, in combating abortion is providing resources for those people who are facing unplanned pregnancies, whether that be through pregnancy resource centers that provide uh, both material support and uh, financial support and spiritual support, or whether it be through providing easy ways for people to enter into uh, adoption relationships that help uh, for those people, for those parents who decide not to parent, to give that child up for adoption. So this is something that you feel very strongly about. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the benefit of uh, we as a society uh, addressing the demand issues. And uh, recently you wrote an article in the Washington Post that's talking about something uh, that is a challenge to that, that's maybe something that we need to be paying attention to. So talk a little bit about how do we address the demand side of the abortion issue. Well, before I do that, let me just say I'm a full-throated supporter of uh, uh, trying to reduce abortion supply as well. Right. So in my book, I, I, make, I make an argument that, uh, that we ought to protect prenatal children with the law. And, uh, and it seems to me it would be very difficult if one cares about justice for the most vulnerable, equal protection of the law for the most vulnerable, that one could really claim the title pro-life without doing that. And mm -hmm. I know there's, um, there's some groups out there saying that you can do that. I, I, I strongly disagree. Right. That said, I also disagree with, with, with pro-life groups who say, um, Oh, um, you know, the so-called demand side is really about big government or trying to uh, create social programs or it's, you know, just being offering liberal policies as opposed to, being pro-life. No, it's an attempt to save babies' lives. So when when the Europe has 70% of our abortion rate, uh, we had, we need to take a look at why that is. Right. Uh, and and a big part of why that is is because they really have a social safety net which to, which addresses the demand side of abortion. Mm -hmm. There is all sorts of support for women in difficult situations, even. Uh, fathers in difficult situations. Um, there's uh, paid family leave. Sometimes both parents are required paid family leave. Um, the social structures themselves are oriented in such a way in many countries in Europe to address the demand side. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, if, if we want to save babies' lives 
and not just limit ourselves to a particular right and left ideology. You have to address both. You have to address both. And part of a big part of the demand side, as you hinted at in my in referencing my Washington Post story from this week, is adoption. And I don't know if you want to get into that now, but Absolutely. I really think that's a fundamental question. Fundamental question about demand side. Absolutely. You mentioned a very specific uh, personal story, someone that you encountered. Uh, so rather than, uh, I love these stories because it's not just principle, which people could say, oh yeah, sure it works in theory, but does it work in reality? You have a situation where it's worked in reality. Tell us a little bit about that story. Well, when I was thinking about writing the piece, I wanted, um, I always try to think about my, uh, my people are going to be skeptical of what I'm up to and Mm-hmm. try to address their points, their arguments. And for most of us, I think it's just common sense that the more access there is to adoption, the lesser uh, the demand for abortion there would be because there's another uh, option out there for women to choose. Right. But for some people, that's not as intuitive or it's not as obvious. So I wanted to get actual data and actual stories from real situations show the connection. And there is this wonderful woman named Tara who started a group called Always Hope in Michigan, I believe. And she started out just not even attempting to found an organization, just working with abortion-minded women and saying, hey, there's other options out there for you, including adoption. Mm-hmm. Then she realized she needed to create an adoption agency because the women she was talking to were interested in uh, in having this as, a, as, an, as an alternative to abortion, but sometimes she wouldn't have people to refer to or there wouldn't be this personal connection right away. And she just built this beautiful organization called Always Hope, which uh, matches adoptive, hopefully hopeful adoptive parents with women who have, up until the point they, they met with Tara, uh, had, had, had been seeking an abortion. Right. And it saves a baby's life. It gives another family an incredible joy. And it serves a mother in a difficult situation who's found a better solution than killing her child or paying someone else to kill her child. Yeah. And, 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 and if, you, if you talk to Tara, she'll say there's this direct connection that is just undeniable. Right. So adoption is something that is essential. Uh, it's benefited... Uh, my life. It's benefited my daughter's life. It's benefited the, the adoptive parent's life and your life. Uh, but it's often a very costly uh, endeavor. So what would you say to someone who is looking at this and saying, gosh, I, I don't know how I could even begin to do this. Uh, what would you say to someone who's considering uh, adoption? Well, I'd say that right now, anyway, we have some help for you if you are paying a substantial amount of federal income tax. So, uh, you know that um, right now there's a tax credit of up to $13,000 and change per adopted child that a adoptive family can get in essentially rebated tax that they otherwise would have had to pay to Washington in federal tax Mm -hmm. that can go towards these adoptions. And, um, you know, it's not a perfect... Uh, it's not a perfect policy in support of adoption. I would actually prefer that we just give um, straight-up rebate to people cash 
right. for, so it didn't matter if one was paying this amount of income tax or that amount of income tax, federal income tax. But right now, if one is paying, you know, somewhere, you know, between just a couple thousand dollars in federal income tax and 13,000, you get a substantial amount of money to help um, defray those costs. Uh, unfortunately, um, though, though it looks like we may have had a better outcome today, for the last several days, there have been attempts by the GOP to uh, to create a new budget that would get rid of the adoption tax credit and devastate middle-class families that have been relied, that have relied, in fact, on that tax credit in order to do it. I, in fact, I'm not sure we would have incurred so much debt from adopting these three kids that we might not have ever got out of that debt if we had if we don't have access to the adoption tax credit. And maybe it would have even affected our whether we did we would have adopted three children at all, whether we'd have adopted the sibling group at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it likely would have affected that that question. I hope it wouldn't have, but it likely would have played into the decision. Right. So it's just it's just a huge, devastating thing to take away that kind of support for middle class families who want to bring and experience the kind of joy that you just were talking. And you mentioned that this is only for people who are already paying that tax. Uh, it's not not get, it's not uh, automatically given if they're not paying the tax. Right. You don't have to be a, you know, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with with government stepping in and saying we ought adoption is a good thing. We ought to subsidize it. Right. Directly. Uh, you don't have to believe that to accept this, which is basically just saying let people who have already made this money keep their money mm-hmm. and let it go towards their adoption expense. It's not, it's not a government program. It's not a tax and spend type thing. It's not putting it on uh, the, the uh, national credit card. It's simply saying these people who have already made this money mm-hmm. get to keep it and use it for adoption expenses rather than send it to Washington. So if someone wanted to, to let their voice be heard on this issue in support of that credit, what would they do? Well, I think the most important thing is find out if you've got a representative on the House Ways and Means Committee mm-hmm. and let them know what you think, because that's where it is right now. Yeah. Um, you might have, I've been, I've been teaching all day, I don't, you may have been following this more than I have. I think I heard somebody say that they put the adoption tax credit back in um, the current proposal. Um, okay. For, for the new budget, but you know as well as I do that it, that could be that could be changed tomorrow. So, um, not not so it, and it wouldn't even matter if if uh, somebody what the representative was not on the Ways and Means Committee. This is going to be voted on both in the House and the Senate. So basically, the classic contact your senators and representatives and let them know how you think about it. We've linked to Charlie's recent article over on our social media. Go take a look at it and then contact your legislators. We've been talking today with Dr. Charlie Camosi, Associate Professor of Theological Ethics at Fordham University. There's more to this conversation over for our Patreon supporters. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and find that unbroadcast segment. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. There's much more right after the break, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And we've been talking today with Dr. Charlie Camosi. He's the Associate Professor of Theological Ethics for Fordham University and an adoptive father of three. We've been talking about adoption specifically today as we are looking at the the national, it's National Adoption Month right now. Uh, It's something that's very near and dear to my heart because, as I mentioned earlier, I have a a daughter who uh, was born when I was a teenager and was placed for adoption. have a great relationship with her. She actually uh, got married earlier this year just uh, to make me feel old. (laughs) She reminds me of that constantly, and I, I remind her that I'm not as old as I could be or should be in this specific case. Uh, but she is a delight, and, and so I have a deep, deep affection for adoption. Uh, we've talked with, actually, we've talked with her before, I think about two years ago now, at the same time, uh, we were talking with both her and the the specialists from Catholic Charities of Fort Worth. You can get that over in the archives, outsidethewalls.com. Uh, right there, you click episode archive, scroll back down a couple of years into November of 20, gosh, that would be 2015, Uh, And you can find that episode there. Or if you missed any part of today's show or you want to share it with someone else, by all means, send them to that same archive, outsidethewalls.com. Click episode archives and you can take this, share it on social media, send it in an email, call someone up on the phone and say, hey, there was this episode. This is how you get to it. You know, any way you want to share it is fine by me. We had one more segment with with Charlie, and we each week we have a, an unbroadcast segment that goes out to our supporters on Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link. But in that conversation with him, we talked a little bit about how his family, both in the fact that it's an international family and the fact that he adopted older children who brought some experience along with him, uh, we asked the question, how did that inform his understanding of the Christian family? And, and I, I love his answer. So I encourage you to go uh, over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link so you have access to it. But uh, it reminds me and, and it informs me a little bit more uh, with today's scripture reading. And today's reading comes from the book of Romans chapter 12. And we hear, brothers and sisters, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us exercise them, if prophecy in proportion to the faith, if ministry in ministering, if one is a teacher in teaching, if one exhorts in exhortation, if one contributes in generosity, if one is over others with diligence, if one does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Anticipate one another in showing honor. Do not grow slack in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in affliction. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the holy ones. Exercise hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Have the same regard for one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And as I think about that in terms of the family of God, but specifically in terms with adoption, uh, what, what a beautiful picture that is. We are members of one another. We're individually parts of one another. 
he talked just a little bit about family being defined more broadly than the nuclear family, uh, more broadly than mom, dad, and biological children, but looking to how can we as the, the people of God enrich one another uh, with lives that say, you are my family because we belong to Christ. You are, you are part of me. I can't just turn my back on you and look uh, away uh, because, um, because you're not part of my immediate family. I can't ignore your needs or your cries for help because we are members of one another. And even if you don't have the means to pursue adoption, uh, even if you don't have the means to pr- pursue uh, foster parenting, you do have the means to pursue community. Who is the single mother uh, who's with you, uh, who goes to mass with you, who's, uh, whose child is going to be with the father and she's going to be alone on Thanksgiving? Who is that person? And can you bring them into your home so that no one is left alone? Because we are members of one another. We are individually parts of one another. And so for us to expand our view of family, to to be, begin to act in care and compassion for the person who sits in the pew next to us and who leaves, maybe maybe we don't ever get to talk to them. They leave before Mass is over. Corner them. That's what, <laughs> my poor wife, I do. I corner people. I chase them down. I'm like, oh, you think you're leaving, huh? I want to I talk to you. <laughs> uh, one of these days I'm going to have her on the show and just have her tell the stories of all the people that we have had over to our house for um, for Sunday brunch, because uh, I'm like, oh, you're new here. Where where, where are you eating today? Uh, she married an extrovert. That's just who I am. But we are members of one another. And so find a way, that, as we approach the holidays, uh, to exercise a broader perspective of family. Today's reading from Church History, in a way connects with our topic of adoption today. I'm going to make it connect. You'll see. Uh, But this is from a homily written in the second century. Brethren, we ought to regard Jesus Christ as God and judge of the living and the dead. We should not hold our Savior in low esteem, for if we esteem him but a little, we may hope to obtain but a little from him. Moreover, people who hear these things and think think them of small importance commit sin. And we ourselves sin if we do not realize what we have been called from, who has called us, and to what place and how much suffering Jesus Christ endured on our account. How then shall we repay him? What fruit can we bear that would be worthy of what he has given us? For how many benefits are we not in his debt? He has enlightened our minds. He has called us sons as a father does. He saved us when we were about to perish. How then shall we praise him? How repay him for his gifts? Spiritually blind, we worshipped stones and pieces of wood, gold and silver and bronze, things made by men, and our whole life was death. Darkness enfolded us, and nothing but gloom met our eyes. Then, by his will, we escaped from the cloud that enveloped us and recovered our sight. For he saw our many errors and the damnation that awaited us, and knowing that apart from him we had no hope of salvation, he pitied us and in his mercy saved us. He called us when we were not his people and willed us to become his people. 
Rejoice, O barren woman who has never born a child. Break into shouts of joy, you who never knew a mother's pangs. For the deserted wife shall have more children than she who has a husband. When he says, Rejoice, O barren woman who never bore a child, he is speaking of us. For our church was barren until children were given her. When he says, Break into shouts of joy, you who never knew a mother's pangs, he meant that we should not grow weary like women in labor, but tirelessly and in all simplicity offer our prayers to God. He declares that the deserted wife shall have more children than she who has a husband, because faith has now made our people, who seem to have been deserted by God, more numerous than those who were thought to possess him. Another text says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, for it is those who are perishing who must be saved. It is a great and wonderful work to uphold those who are falling, rather than those who already stand firm. Christ willed to save people who were in danger of losing their souls, and he has been the salvation of many. When we were on the point of perishing, he came and called us. That reading comes from a homily written in the second century. I got it out of the breviary on, uh, for tomorrow's reading from Sunday. And for me, this, this says a couple of things. One, it speaks of our own adoption into the family of God. We were perishing, and certainly spiritually so. We were perishing, and we were brought into right relationship with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But now we are called to share in the divine life. We're called to participate uh, by doing the works that Christ himself did, right? We're called to, to do that Matthew 25, to care for the least and the most vulnerable among us. And so we see now people who are perishing. We see children who are perishing, whether that be through uh, the, the numbers that we see in abortion or whether that be just through the languishing that we see of children in foster care, uh, specifically those who age out of the system. We see people perishing. And it's now incumbent on us as children of God, as people who have been called by his name to go out in his name and to rescue those who are perishing. Not just those in spiritual danger, although certainly that as well, but those who are in physical or emotional danger. And so this Adoption Month, this November National Adoption Month, I want you to consider what can you do, you personally, what can you do to help those who are in need, whether it be through donating to a pregnancy resource center, whether it be volunteering at a pregnancy resource center, whether it be fostering a foster child, or whether it be welcoming someone into your home, uh, welcoming a child into your home through adoption, or whether it just be finding and expanding your understanding of family. Do something this nat National Adoption Month that will make Christ manifest to someone new all the time we have this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Catholic understanding of loneliness. It's also our third anniversary. It's going to be a great show. Don't miss it. Today's show has been brought to you by a generous gift from an anonymous donor. And all of those who support us through Patreon, go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.